Welcome to Parenting Your Sensitive Child. Parenting a highly sensitive child can feel overwhelming, and all the parenting books in the world can only get you so far if your head and your heart are out of alignment with your child's. I'm your host, Julia McGarry. Let's create a new parenting paradigm. Hey y'all, we're going to talk a little bit more today about brains, specifically what being gifted means about a child's actual physical brain. I'm going to be talking about two concepts, neurobiology and neuroplasticity, and I want to define them for you here at the beginning so that it's clear what I'm referring to when I use them. Okay, neurobiology at its most basic is the biology of the nervous system, and that's essentially what I'm referring to. I'm not talking about neurobiology with a capital N like the branch of science that studies the biology of the nervous system. I'm clearly not a neurobiologist, but I do want to explore the neurobiology of gifted kids' brains, the way that they're structured and the way they function. Neuroplasticity, on the other hand, is the ability of the brain to respond to and change because of the experiences of an individual. Neuroplasticity is what allows us to change our thinking, to develop a growth mindset, to build skills, and to grow as humans. Both neuroplasticity and neurobiology are relevant and important to any discussion about giftedness and what it means. Neuroplasticity is important because this is what allows gifted kids to get through the particular challenges they face. It's very common for gifted kids to breeze through elementary school, but then struggle to complete assignments in middle school when they have to keep track of their own work, manage their own time, and complete more complex assignments, for example. Because their brains are neuroplastic, though, they can develop the study skills and time management skills to be successful beyond elementary school. They can learn to persist through challenges instead of throwing their hands up and saying they can't as soon as they hit something they aren't instantly good at. Neurobiology is equally important to this conversation, especially especially since there's a lot of pushback against the whole idea of giftedness out in the world right now. And I will admit, and I have admitted in the past, it's not the best term. But it's the term that we have, and it is a thing that exists in the world. These kids have specific needs and specific challenges that are rooted in the neurobiology or the wiring of their brain. It is simply not true that every child is gifted and their gifts just need to be cultivated. It is not the case that since everyone can cultivate a growth mindset, that gifted kids do not exist. They absolutely do, and the proof is in their neurobiology. And while we're talking about definitions, it's helpful to know that giftedness is defined or identified differently depending on the context. In a school context, 
from educational context, a child who tests well and is advanced academically is likely to be identified and labeled as gifted because it's clear that they need a different approach in order to meet their educational needs. And while educators who specialize in teaching gifted students will likely tell you that it isn't just about academic performance, there are other traits that are common in gifted students. The identification process in schools is focused primarily on performance. Unfortunately, this means that many students who have additional challenges don't get identified as gifted in the classroom because their challenges impact their performance. Think anxiety. And as a result, they don't get all of their needs met. Now, when you enter the realm of psychology, you'll quickly find that gifted is not a diagnosis. It's not in the DSM-5, so that means that while there may be certain traits associated with gifted individuals, it's not always taken into consideration when assessing an individual, <laughs> assessing an individual and giftedness in this context is also based on similar performance-based criteria. When you look at giftedness from a neurobiology perspective, though, that's when you can start to go beyond academic performance in a very clear way. Research is showing that there are distinct differences in the way gifted individuals' brains function. For one, gifted people tend to have more gray matter in specific parts of the brain, and that impacts how those parts of the brain operate and function. These parts include the frontal lobe, the temporal lobe, the parietal lobe, and the occipital process. And to give you just a little bit of context for what these parts of the brain do, let's look at the frontal lobe and the temporal lobe. The frontal lobe plays a role in memory, attention, motivation, decision-making, hypothesis testing, executive functioning, and language. The frontal lobe also plays a part in mood, personality, an individual's capacity for self-awareness, and also social and moral reasoning. Then there's the temporal lobe, which is associated with auditory processing and encoding memory as well as processing emotions and language interpretation. Those other two parts, the parietal lobe and the occipital process, both of those have sensory processing aspects, which means that all together, a higher volume of gray matter in these parts of the brain is going to lead to higher intelligence, quote unquote, <laughs> but also increases in sensory processing experiences and differences in emotional processing and regulation. If you've listened to my episode on overexcitabilities and gifted kids, this should be starting to sound familiar. If not, I'll link to that episode in the show notes. But basically, there are certain overexcitabilities that are common in gifted people. And they are definitely linked to the functions of these parts of the brain. It's pretty interesting. So to sum all that up, gifted kids 
have more gray matter in specific parts of their brain that impact their processing of information, emotional experiences, memory, and sensory experiences. There's another structural difference that's been recognized in the brains of gifted individuals, and that is neuro their neural pathways. Okay, gifted individuals have more of these pathways which transport signals and information in the brain, which allows for more movement of information within the brain, and in some sense, more efficient movement of information. And that can really account for the ability to connect information in new ways that we often see in gifted individuals. These differences in brain structure, these differences in neurobiology, are present from the very beginning. They're part of a child's wiring. They are born that way. And this helps shape who that child will become. Neuroplasticity is still a factor, though, and it's important to be aware of the ways in which gifted kids struggle as they grow older so that you can support them in developing a growth mindset and other skills that will serve them well. I think I said earlier that for many gifted kids, elementary school is easy because of the way their brain is wired. They're able to do assignments quickly and easily, and they don't really have to study. But then as they move up through school, assignments become more complex and content becomes more difficult, and they often can't just get by the way they did in elementary school. They need organizational and study skills, and they need to be able to plan their project, all of which are learned skills. You can start working with them to build these skills when they're younger so that when they do hit that point where things are not immediately accessible to them, where they have to work a little bit harder, or they have to plan more, that they have the skills in place to do it. That might mean helping them figure out how to manage their time. It might mean helping them create a morning routine. It might mean teaching them to track their assignments or how to take notes. You can also help them find activities that they love that will eventually push them to their growth edge. Because so much comes easily to them, it's very common for gifted kids to struggle with frustration tolerance and to give up easily when things get challenging. They might also interpret their inability to overcome challenges instantly as failure if they don't get coaching and support around this. So it's incredibly helpful to find activities in which they feel safe to struggle and motivated to persist through the challenge when they're young. So they begin to internalize the idea that they can overcome challenges as part of their identity and they start to do it early on. You can help them cultivate a growth mindset early on by doing this. And honestly, gifted kids need to develop growth mindset just as much, if not more, as any other kid, okay? 
Now I want to close on this note. If you're listening to this and thinking, okay, so I'm supposed to find activities that push my child to their edge, but they don't want to try anything new. I want you to know that it doesn't have to be hard. If all your child wants to do is play Roblox, focus on helping them build some of these skills with Roblox. The opportunity to struggle and overcome challenges is built into video games, and kids are often highly invested in the process. Where you come in is you, you come and you sit with them, pay attention to what they're doing, and offer support when they get frustrated. Avoid telling them there's no need to be frustrated, it's just a game. That's not actually going to help them learn to deal with frustration, and you might just see an escalation in aggressive behaviors sparked by their frustration if you go that route, okay? If you don't want to see your kids throwing the video games, video game controllers, don't tell them not to be frustrated about it. Instead, focus on what they're trying to accomplish. This is why you have to come sit with them and pay attention so you can tell them, oh, that level looks really challenging. I think I'd be frustrated too. I wonder if it would be helpful to take a snack break and try again in a few minutes. Sometimes when our brains, I mean, sometimes our brains just need time to put together all the practice we've been doing before we're actually able to beat a level. Figuring out how to balance screen time with other obligations is a fantastic way to start teaching time management skills too. So you've got frustration tolerance, you've got persevering through challenges to accomplish a goal, you've got figuring out how to balance screen time, how to manage their time with other obligations. So don't write this off if your child is a gamer. I'm definitely not saying you have to go sign them up for all the activities to help them develop a growth mindset and frustration tolerance. Use what they're interested in already, okay? I hope you have a good week and I will talk to you in the next episode. Do you feel like you're parenting 24-7 and you're still not sure your child is getting what they need? Are you ready to stop parenting reactively and start living in partnership with your sensitive child? Are you ready to reclaim time for yourself and time for your dreams? Then you're going to want to explore coaching with me. I help my clients tune out all the noise, better understand their kids, build a parenting strategy that meets their family's specific needs, and do the mindset work necessary to implement that strategy consistently without sacrificing themselves in the process. To get started, just head over to partnerpath.com, click on coaching, and get your free consultation set up. Let's get to know each other.